6. And here in Matthew chapter 6, as we began to see last week, Jesus deals with the motives that govern our lives. And uh, he dealt first with uh, several of those motives, which we'll talk about more in a minute. But one of the things he makes increasingly clear to us is that motives do indeed matter. The motives behind why you do what you do, they matter to God. I heard the story about an, old, uh, an older man who was walking along the beach one day, and he found a genie lamp. And of course, the natural thing you want to do when you find a genie lamp is you want to rub the lamp. And out popped the genie, and he said, I'll grant you one wish, and only one wish, that's all you get. The man thought about it for a minute, and he said, well, my brother and I, we had a fight 30 years ago. And all these years, he's never forgiven me. And I wish my brother would forgive me. And there was a thunderclap. And he said, your wish is granted. And he looked at the man a little curiously. And he said, most people I've ever had make a wish to me. They've always asked for wealth or fame. But here you are asking for your relationship with your brother to be reconciled. Are you dying or something? What's wrong with you? And he looked at the genie and he said, no, no, I'm not dying at all. But my brother's dying and he's worth 60 million. <laughs> he was no dummy, all right? <laughs> Motives matter, all right? Why you do what you do, it matters. And it's so easy to put on a cloak of religion to fool people, to make them think that you have good motives, but God sees your heart. By the, word, by the way, God is more concerned with why you do what you do than He is even with what you actually do. He has no desire for you to put on a show of religion. That's why the Bible says in 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks where, church? He looks at your heart. He sees the heart behind why you do what you do. And so in verse, verses 1 through 18, which we've already studied in this chapter, Jesus dealt with the motives behind your worship. But as we continue on in, this, in our text for today, verses 19 through 24, we'll see how Jesus now deals with the motives behind your wealth. First he deals with the motives behind your worship. Now he's dealing with the motives behind your wealth. First, he warns us about living for the temporal praise of men. And now, he's warning us about living for the temporal possessions of men. And as Americans especially, this is a truth that we need to hear. You see, last time when we studied verses 1 through 18, we were warned about the sin of hypocrisy. Acting like we're something we're not. But here we're warned about the sin of covetousness. And can I say... The sin of covetousness is just as dangerous, if not more, than the sin of hypocrisy. Now, we don't think about it in those terms, but that's what Jesus begins to show to us here. Now, what is covetousness? Well, I, I like to define covetousness as simply the desire for more. That's what covetousness is. Um, Shakespeare put it this way in one of his writings. He said, the desire of having is the sin of covetousness. It's just the desire to have more. And as sinful human beings, our natural desire is bent towards always wanting more. The Bible warns us about this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, if you look in your notes. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, a verse often taken out of context. This is what it says. It says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. 
which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now take note, the Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil. We often miscon misconstrue that. Money is a part of life. You've got to have it to pay your bills. You've got to have it to do the things that uh, are necessary to survive in this world. There's nothing wrong with money in and of itself. Money is all moral. It's neither good nor bad. It's what you do with the money that makes it good or makes it bad. It's what you do with your possessions that make them good or make them bad. The Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil. What does it say? It says the love of money. Now in the Greek, that's one word, love of money. And that one word essentially means the love of more. In other words, I never have enough. I always want something more. And the Bible warns us about the sin of covetousness here. The sin of always wanting more. That is the root of all kinds of evil. So let me put it simply for you here. It isn't wrong to possess things. It is wrong for things to possess us. That's when it becomes wrong. When we are consumed with money, we are consumed with our stuff so much so that it becomes what our life is all about. Jesus warned us in Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. We were warned in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15 to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And so there are all kinds of warnings given to us throughout the scripture to bring attention to our hearts and minds to this issue that all of us to some measure have a, have a struggle with. And that issue is with covetousness. Could I say far too many believers live their lives entirely consumed with the things of this world. One person put it this way. He said you are too earthly minded. To be of any heavenly good. You've got your affections. Down here. Not up there. All right? You're looking down when you should be looking up. If you are a believer. The Bible tells us where our affections. Should truly lie in Colossians. Chapter number 3. In verses 1 through 3. This is in your notes. It says if ye then be risen with Christ. In other words if you're saved. Then seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above and not on things on the earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. A simple question for you today. What are you living for? Your conscience will bear witness to what is actually true in your heart. You can tell me you're living for God. But in your heart, you know what's actually true. What are you living for? Because your answer to that simple question will tell you what the most important thing in your life is. Some of you say, I'm living for my kids. Some of you say, I, well, I kind of live for the job. Some of you, you live for your hobby, whether you admit it or not. All right? Some of you live for the weekends. I could go on and on and talk about these things, but what are you really living for? Because in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes a concerted effort to redirect our motives, to help peel back the layer of what we try to show everybody else, even ourselves, and reveal what's really happening in our hearts 
to reveal the motives that govern our lives. Jesus makes an effort to redirect our motives, why we do what we do, back in the right direction. And in our text that we'll get ready to read in just a moment, Jesus gives us here three choices you must make concerning what you will live for. Three choices I'm going to propose to you today. By the way, these choices will determine whether you control your possessions or whether your possessions control you. The choice is yours. And I'll show you what the choices are. But let's read Jesus' words first. Matthew chapter number 6. If you're there, say amen. amen. Let's start reading verse 19. I'll read it out loud. You read silently along with me. Jesus said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And I want to preach to you a message this morning that I've simply entitled on this text, Living for What Matters. Treasures in Heaven. Living for what matters. By the way, I don't think there's a better reminder for us on a Father's Day as men to be reminded about what really matters and what we're supposed to be living for. And so let's think on this truth together and let's pray and ask for God to speak to our hearts. Our Father, we come before you this morning. We're thankful for the opportunity to open your word. And now, Lord, I pray that you'd open our hearts, that we would be able to hear the truth of your word and not allow a familiar truth to go in one ear and right out the other, Lord, but that you would help us to uh, receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save the soul. Now, I pray, God, that you would use your word to penetrate our hearts and, and expose the true motives of our hearts and the areas of our life where we are not where we should be. And God, by the power of your spirit, give us the spiritual strength to turn from where we've gotten off track back to you. Get things right. Start living for what matters again. What will matter for eternity. And I pray that you'd use this truth powerfully in every heart and life in this room today and those who listen online. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. I'm going to take that off because I'm already getting warm up here, okay? But we're going to look at three choices that you can make that will determine what you're really living for. The first choice I want you to note down is a choice of loves. In other words, you're going to have to choose what you really love. A choice of loves. Now look at verse 19 with me. If you're still with me, say amen. amen. Verse 19, the Bible says this. It says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. And so the Bible begins in these words to give us a contrast. What is contrasted is the selfish accumulation of earthly treasures with the selfless accumulation of heavenly treasures. Are you living for earthly treasures or are you living for heavenly treasures? And the key word that we find in this passage 
is that in both cases, you're laying these treasures up. Jesus says, don't lay this kind up, but lay this kind up. Now that phrase, lay up, it comes, uh, in fact, the word lay up and treasures, they both come from the same root Greek word. Uh, thesaurus is the Greek word. It's the, it's the same word from which we get our uh, thesaurus, our English word thesaurus from, which means a treasury of words. And the word itself speaks of a treasury. And so what's, what, we, what we can literally say about uh, these verses, lay not up for yourselves treasures, what's literally being said is, don't treasure up for yourself treasures. That's, that's literally what's being said here. And the idea communicated by this word is, is literally stacking coins. All right? Now think about Ebenezer Scrooge, okay? Just stacking all of his coins. That's the whole idea of laying something up. It has the idea of stockpiling or hoarding things. All right, Some of you, you've watched the show Hoarders, okay? Some of you, you live the show Hoarders in your life. But it has a different story, okay? Um, but it's talking about the accumulation of wealth that, or things that you don't actually intend to use. And Jesus here, he's not saying that it is, it is wrong to be wealthy. He's not condemning wealth in and of itself. He's not saying that if you're poor, then you're more spiritual than if you are wealthy. In fact, the Bible goes so far as to say that God actually is the one who gives us richly all things to enjoy. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. There's nothing wrong with, with having things in this life. That's not the point Jesus is trying to make. But the point is, not that wealth should be sacrificed but that your wealth should be stewarded. In other words, whatever God does give you, you should use what God gives you, not for selfish purposes, but to invest into His eternal purposes. You steward the things God gives you in all different kinds of ways. You can steward your, the things that God blesses you with by investing in your family. You can steward the things that God blesses you with by preparing for the future to take care of your family. You can steward the things God blesses you with by using it to invest into God's kingdom. Uh, by, by, giving, by giving to the Lord or giving to the poor or whatever the case may be. There are lots of ways you can steward what God does give to you. But the point that Jesus is trying to make is don't take what you have and hold it all to yourself for selfish purposes. But whatever God gives to you, you're to steward it into the kingdom of God. The key word that we need to look at here before we move on in, verses in verse number 19 is this. Look at it. It says, lay not up for who? For yourselves. You see, when you seek to hoard wealth purely for your own benefit, so you can have what you want, so you can live a life of ease and not have to worry about anything. When you choose to hoard wealth purely for your own benefit, that is when wealth or possessions, can become a sinful idol in your life. And that's a dangerous thing that all of us need to be made aware of. You see, it is ultimately the love of self that is the primary motive behind hoarding earthly treasures. I heard the story about a, a man who was very successful in life, and he uh, had made, accumulated a lot of wealth throughout his lifetime. The boy is a real miser just would hardly spend a penny on anything in the world. And, his, and, and as he was dying, his, his, his poor dear wife, he looks at his poor dear wife, and he loved his money so much that he, he made his wife promise him that when he died, 
she would bury him with all of his money. So this happened, and soon after the man died, and the funeral took place, and that poor dear lady was the last one to go up to the casket. Before they closed the casket, she pulled out a little white envelope and put it inside the casket. They closed the casket. One of her friends who had been there with her to support her when her husband was passing away, she stopped her as she was walking back and said, are you sure that's a great idea? And she said, that poor, that poor widow said, listen, I love my husband dearly. I made a promise and I cannot break my word. I wrote him a check. <laughs> now that's a smart lady right there, okay? But listen, hoarding our wealth to ourselves. That's the whole idea communicated by that story. Really, it comes down to a choice of what do you love? It's a choice of loves. Do you love yourself more or do you love God more? Do you love the things of self more? Do you love the things of God more? You cannot do both. That's the, that's the issue made with every one of these choices. You can't say I love God and love yourself at the same time. You're going to have to choose who is the one that you love above all others. The sad reality is if you live to get wealth or get things for yourself, the Bible makes very clear it will perish when you're gone. You see, you can't bring it with you. The old statement is, you've never seen a, U, uh, a, a hearse uh, hauling a U-Haul behind it. Right? You're, you're not going to bring any of the stuff that you consume your life trying to get with you. Uh, and this is why when Jesus spoke of earthly treasures in verse 19, He said, don't lay up these treasures on earth. Why? Because that's where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. Now, in Jesus' day, wealth was uh, looked at in a different way than what wealth is looked at today. In his day, a lot of people, when they saw someone who was wearing nice clothing, they assumed they were wealthy people because they could afford to wear nice clothing. And the nicest type of clothing at that time, of course, was the stuff that was made with wool. Well, you know, what likes to consume wool? Moths. Anybody remember mothballs? My grandma's house, that's what it smelled like. <laughs> Mothballs. All right? And, uh, but boy, it's not as something that's as common to us today, but there was a day and time, and that was a big issue, and especially back in Bible times. And Jesus says, hey, don't live to get a bunch of nice clothes that the moths are just going to eat anyways. Where, where, where the moths were corroded, and then he talks about another thing that was a, a source of uh, wealth in that day and time, and that was food. The word rust uh, actually is a, a word that literally means eaten up. And I believe Jesus is actually talking about uh, uh, people who were viewed as wealthy because they had an abundance of food, which just wasn't a common thing place in that time. And Jesus says, even if you have a bunch of food, it's just going to be eaten up. Whether it's by your teenagers or while it's by the critters, it's going to be eaten up by something, okay? And he said, don't get all your wealth focused, all your focus in living for just getting an abundance of food. And then he also mentions how thieves would break through and steal earthly treasures. And in, and in Bible times, they would often have a place on their property where they would go and actually bury their most valuable items away from the house. And the, the whole idea of a thief breaking through, it literally means to dig up. And the thieves would go and try to find these spots where people would hide their most valuable possessions and, and steal them away from them. 
And uh, the whole concept of what Jesus is saying here is that when it comes to our earthly treasures, we must beware of that which rots, of that which rusts, and that which robs, that which, that which can be robbed. Well, Jesus said, if you get your focus on earthly things, whether it's you die and you don't take it with you, or you lose it in this lifetime, it's going to be gone one day. And uh, earthly treasures have a way of wearing out and walking off. That's what they have. uh, It's just a matter of fact. Proverbs 23 and verse 5 says, Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. And uh, riches have a way of, of making themselves off. Jesus makes clear. And so what good is it to have a whole bunch of stuff on this earth? If you can't take it with you into eternity. In fact, Jesus asked that question pointedly in Mark chapter 8. If you look in your notes, Mark 8 and verse 36, he said, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You can have everything there is to have and miss on the one thing that is most important. And that is a relationship with God through Christ And so instead of living to selfishly hoard up earthly wealth for yourself, Jesus counsels you here to live to store up heavenly wealth in eternity. That's what he says in verse 20. He says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. In other words, you ought to use what you have to invest it into what will matter for eternity. You listen to me here. Every dollar... You invest into the work of the Lord will pay eternal dividends. Every moment you spend with your kids will be so much more valuable than all the money in the world that you could try to make and neglect them. Every effort you make to use your abilities for God, it will yield eternal rewards. You can mark this down. God doesn't miss a thing. He knows every effort that you make He sees every dollar that you spend to invest into eternal purposes and He will not fail to reward it. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10 says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which you have showed toward His name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And boy, God's not going to miss a thing. He's keeping a record far greater than any that you and I could ever keep. And what is even more wonderful is that when we invest into eternity... Our investments are eternally secure. They're in the hands of God and nothing, uh, nothing can take them away. I like what Matthew Henry said. He said, investments into eternity result in a happiness above and beyond the changes and chances of time. It is a sure reward. It is an inheritance. 1 Peter 1.3 says that is incorruptible and undefiled and that fades not away that is reserved in heaven for you. What a wonderful thing. Before we move on, there's one important point we need to see, and that's verse 21. Because Jesus makes very clear in verse 21 that this, everything we're talking about so far, in fact, all of this, everything we're talking about today, it's all a matter of the heart. Let's read verse 21 out loud together, if you would. Let's read it. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now get this. Jesus didn't say that if you put your treasure in the right place, that your heart will follow. But he said the location of your treasure reveals where your heart already is. 
That's why I asked you at the beginning, what are you living for? I didn't ask you what you should be living for. I said, what are you living for? Because whatever it is, that's where your heart is. Jesus makes clear this is a heart issue. Matthew Henry said the heart follows the treasure. And so if your heart is right with God, you will be happy to use what God has given you for Him. But if your heart is not right with God, you will be covetous, selfish, and stingy with what you have. And so until you give God the treasure of your heart, God will never be able to have the treasure of your hand by anything more than pharisaical, hypocritical shell. We've got to give God our hearts. When God has our hearts, everything else will follow after that. When God has the affection of your heart, He will also control the actions of your hands. Before you worry about moving your hand to do what you think you should be doing, you ought to be more concerned about moving your heart back towards the Lord. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if you want to live for what matters, the solution ultimately is to give your heart to God. You've got to get your heart back in the right place. That's why in Proverbs chapter 4, the, uh, Jesus, represented by the voice of wisdom, cries out. And he says in Proverbs 4 and verse, uh, uh, pro, sorry, Proverbs 23 and verse 26, My son, give me thine heart. God's saying to you as his sons and daughters, give me your heart. Because if God has your heart, everything else will follow. The first choice you have to make is the choice of loves. Who you really love. Now we'll look at these next ones briefly because they're important. The second choice you must make is a choice of looks. A choice of looks. What you're going to focus on. What you're going to look to in life. This is an often confused passage of Scripture. But let's look at it again. Verses 22 and 23. If you're still with me, say amen. amen. Verse 22, the Bible says, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. So here the Bible contrasts the single eye with the evil eye. The word translated eye comes from the Greek word lupnos that, that literally speaks of a lamp. Alright, now I want you to think about this. Put your thinking cap on with me. When light hits the retina of your eye, it turns the light into a signal that, that travels through the optic nerve to your brain, projecting the image that you see. That's the way God designed these things to be. And, and spiritually speaking, your heart is the eye to your soul. The same way your physical eye works to your brain. And spiritually speaking, your heart is the eye to your soul, to your innermost being. Your heart is the lens through which you process every experience that you go through in life. So listen, when you have a pure heart, you will have a clear vision for what matters in your life. But when you have an impure heart, your vision will become distorted. And that's what the Bible is ultimately teaching us here. By the way, that's why the Bible warns us in Proverbs 4 and verse 23 to keep or guard your heart with all diligence because out of it come the issues of life. Out of your heart you live and do everything that you do. It's where your motives are. And from the innermost part of your being, hey, uh, uh, your heart determines how you're going to live your life. So one person said, when your heart is pure, your vision will be clear. We learned earlier in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 8, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart. Why? For they shall see 
God. When your heart is pure, your vision for what matters in life will be very clear. So Jesus speaks of the single eye and the evil eye. What does the word single mean? All right, well, we, we know we have a context for what we think single means today, but it's not exactly the same thing as what the Bible's talking about here. The word single is the Greek word, comes from the Greek word haplos, and it, it could mean whole or it could mean clear. We, we could also uh, use those same words about this word single, to be whole or to be clear. It speaks of a vision that is free from obstructions. 20-20 vision, in other words. What it represents is a heart that is single-minded in its devotion. There's no impurity there. There's nothing there to take your distraction from being able to see clearly what matters in life. This was the same kind of heart, single-minded devotion that the Apostle Paul had in Philippians 1 and verse 21 when he said, For to me, to live is who? Christ. And to die is gain. His whole life was focused on living for Christ. And a healthy spiritual vision will enable you to see clearly what matters most. Now that's where God wants us to be. To have a single vision. A single eye. But he also talks about another way we can live. And that is with an evil eye. Verse 21. I'm sorry. Verse, verse number 23 talks about this evil eye. If an eye be evil. Paneros is the Greek word. And it literally speaks of something that is damaged or diseased. The light that in a healthy eye would project image to the brain is somewhat hindered. All right? The light is not able to come in and communicate the message to the brain that it's supposed to. Uh, when, when your eye is damaged or diseased, it'll, it'll result in you having blurred vision or result in you even having blindness. Now, when I was in the first grade, I uh, started having trouble in school. My grades were going down. My parents couldn't figure out why. And lo and behold, they finally, the teacher finally, light bulb went off and said, I think, I, think, I think little Bruce can't see. So I went to the doctor and found out that I was, my vision was bad. And uh, they tell me now that I'm actually legally blind um, by, by, by how bad my vision has become. And I suffer from something that many of you also probably suffer from, an astigmatism. How many of you have something like that going on with your eye? All right. And basically, with, with the astigmatism, it's a problem with the lens of my eye that, that causes the rays of light to fail to converge in one point. This makes my vision very blurry. I just can't see very much uh, without glasses or my contacts. Spiritually speaking, many Christians have a spiritual astigmatism. You're not allowing the light of the truth of God to enter into your heart. And it's causing your vision to become blurry. It's causing your focus to become blurry. You're focused on too many things. And it's causing you not to live ultimately for the Lord. By the way, Proverbs 28 and verse 22. It says, He that hastens to be rich has an evil eye. The same idea is communicated here. You can fo if you get so much focused on possessions and wealth and fame and things of this world, it will affect your spiritual vision. And I say to you, what many of us need today is to get a spiritual eye exam. And to, and to understand that we have gotten our focus off where it needs to be. Revelation chapter number 3, the Bible actually tells Jesus writing to the church of Laodicea, the church said of themselves, well, we're rich and we're increased with goods and we don't need anything, Jesus. 
Jesus wrote to them and say and said to them, you think you're okay, but the reality is you're poor and blind and naked and you don't even realize it. And the solution that he gave to them in Revelation 3 was to have their eyes anointed. He talks about their eyes being anointed with eye salves. I don't have time to go into that right now, but the point is clear. What many of us need is to allow the Holy Spirit of God to mend our spiritual vision. And get us focused back on the things that will matter for eternity. Oh, how important this is for us to see the truth that the Bible is trying to get across to us here. And uh, the Bible tells us in um, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 4 and verse number 18. It says, while we look not at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We sing the old hymn together. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. The sad reality for many of us is that the things of God are what are dim to us today because we're so focused on the things of this world. It's time to get your vision repaired, spiritually speaking. Get your focus back where it needs to be. You see, God gives us a choice. A choice of loves, a choice of looks. And the final thing is this, a choice of lords. A choice of lords. Look at verse 24. The Bible says, no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Jesus contrasts two types of lords here. God and mammon. The word master is the word he uses. One of them is your master. The word master is translated from the Greek word kurios. And in that day and time, in Bible times, that word was understood to speak of a slave owner. Now, slavery is something that the Bible condemns, and yet at the same time, Jesus, speaking to people to whom it was a common thing, a common thing, a commonplace thing in his day and time, to use it as an illustration to demonstrate to us an important truth. We're a slave to something in this life. All of us. Now, when it comes to the life of a slave, a slave doesn't have the option. To be part-time. Right? Jesus isn't referring to an employer-employee relationship here. He's talking about a slave master and a slave relationship here. We're all slaves to something. Alright? Now some of you, you've said it before. I'm a slave to the job. <laughs> I gotta go. I gotta go back to work. And I understand what you're talking about when you say that. But all of us serve someone. All of us serve something. And the, the, the issue is, we think, well, I can serve God part-time, and I can serve the things I want to do part-time. But what Jesus is saying here, you can't do both. He says, no man can. Udais dunamai is the Greek. It means nobody has the ability. Nobody has the power. Nobody has the capability to be able to have two masters that they're serving at the same time. And to illustrate this, think about this with me. So long as two masters are going in the same direction, you can act like you're following them both. But just wait until they part ways. And the one you follow will be who you're really living for. Who you're really serving. Almost every week of my life, I see this, see this demonstrated. 
Well, I don't like the job I'm working at. I get another job opportunity. I can't see my family. I'll probably miss church every weekend. Boy, I'll make more money. God or mammon. Young person wants to play a sport. I'm just getting real real with you here this morning, all right? I, I, you know what? I do care if you don't like it. I guess I really don't. I'm going to go ahead and say it. But a young person starts playing a sport. Got to miss youth group every week. Probably miss church most weekends to play it. God or mammon. What's more important? You fill in the blank in your own life. Mammon is a word that literally means gain. And what mammon is to all of us is whatever we consider to be gain in our life. It's not exclusively riches. All right? Mammon to you could be that job promotion. Mammon to you could be a, a lot of types of things. To some people, their pleasure is their mammon. To be able to go and do the things they enjoy. To others, uh, their possessions are their mammon. To others, a promotion at work might be their mammon. But the true Lord of mammon is self. Whatever I want, whatever I consider to be gain, that's what I'm living for. You flip the script around, what you're actually living for is for yourself. Whatever you consider to be gained to yourself. You get a choice. Are you going to live for God? Or are you going to live for yourself? That's what C.T. Studd always used to say. Only two choices on the shelf. Pleasing God or pleasing self. What will your choice be? Adrian Rogers. He always used to say about the Lord Jesus. He said, if Jesus isn't Lord of all in your life, then he's not really Lord at all in your life. You can say Jesus is your Lord, but when the way Jesus wants you to go goes different from the way you want to go, what you do in that moment reveals who's actually in charge of your life. Who's actually the one that's calling the shots? Is it you or is it him? You understand, God and mammon, there never have been two ways that are more diametrically opposed than God and mammon. All right? God says be content. Mammon says never be satisfied. God says be honest in business. Mammon says cheat to get ahead. God says give to help others. Mammon says no, keep it for yourself. God says live for the eternal. Mammon says no, live for the day. Live to enjoy the moment. See, these two ways are so diametrically opposed. You can't follow both. You can't live for both. You've got to make a choice, you see, who you're going to live for. God or yourself. I told you at the beginning, it is not wrong to possess things. But what is wrong is for you to allow things to possess you. Jesus wants to redirect your motives today. He's calling you to live for the things that will matter for eternity. And so I ask you again, I'd like to invite you to close your eyes and bow your head and think about this as I ask these questions. Who do you love more? Who do you love more? What is your focus in life? You think about your life this last week, this last month, this last year. What are you really focused on? And for whom are you living? See, the answer to these questions will determine what you're actually living for.
Some men get so busy working, getting things that they think they're supposed to have, that they get to a place where they actually, they actually forget what they're living for. Cause one person to say, don't get so caught up making a living that you forget to make a life. Dads, your kids are more important. Husbands, your wife's more important. Christian, your Lord is more important. It's time to get our priorities back where they're supposed to be. And the motives that are causing us to live for things that don't matter, you need to have a change of heart today. Give your heart back to the Lord and say, God, I'm going to stop allowing my life to be about things that won't matter in eternity. I want to make a choice to love you supremely above all others. I'm going to make a choice to make you my focus above all the things in my life. And I want to make a choice today to make you my Lord above everybody else and everything else. When it comes to two choices, going one way or the other, I'm always going to choose your way, Lord Jesus. Joshua said in Joshua 24, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the choice you need to make today.